Peace be upon you. So in 1978, the FBI conducted a sting operation by the name of Abscam, which was short for Arab Scam. This was initially intended to investigate theft, forgery, and stolen art. The FBI used a con artist by the name of Melvin Weinberg and his girlfriend, Evelyn Knight, who had a bunch of charges against them and were facing prison sentences, but were willing to go on probation if they helped them in this sting operation. So what they did is they created a fake company by the name of Abdul Enterprises, which translates, which would, you know, you think would be a little suspicious, Servant of Enterprises, which is very anti-Islamic, in which the FBI employees posed as fictional Arab sheikhs, led by the owners Khamir Abdul Rahman and Yasser Habib. So these are two fictitious characters that they created. They put millions of dollars into their account, and they went on this scheme to catch forgers. And under investigation was one forger who told the sheikh that he needed to invest in casinos in New Jersey and licensing could be obtained for a price. So the Abscam operation was retargeted towards political corruption, people who were taking bribes in order to expedite these uh, permits for Atlantic City, as well as giving the sheikh supposedly immigration status for some uh, 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 individuals. So now under this uh, ploy, they went and they started having meetings with these uh, politicians involved in the Ritz-Carlton of Atlantic City, the Dunes Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City, the Penthouse Boardwalk Hotel and Casino, you know, very Islamic endeavors of gambling. So it's hilarious how this didn't raise any suspicion because, again, Muslims investing in Atlantic City to build the casinos. Uh, let alone the name of the entity is called Abdullah Enterprises. You know, no one uh, caught wind that none of the sheikhs actually spoke Arabic. But nevertheless, the FBI recorded each money exchange and for the first time in American history, videotaped government officials accepting bribes. In total, more than 30 political figures were investigated, resulting in the conviction of six members of the House of Representatives and one U.S. Senator. Today, if the FBI chooses to set up a sting operation to go after a suspect, there are a number of steps they need to take. The first thing is that they would need to obtain a warrant. To obtain a warrant, they will have to show probable cause, as well as outline the scope of the operation and the evidence they will be allowed to collect. So in essence, they say, look, we want to go after these individuals. They have to show that there's probable cause, that the, the individuals are actually either currently or about to commit a serious offense. You know, probable cause is reasonable belief that a crime has been committed or is about to be committed, and that the warrant is necessary to gather evidence to build a case against the suspect in connection with the crime. The judge will review the evidence presented by the FBI to determine if probable cause exists. If the judge determines that the probable cause exists, then the warrant will be issued. Otherwise, the judge may deny the warrant and say, look, there's no probable cause. You have no right to go against these people, in which case the sting operation either has to cease and can't be carried forward or they have to revise until it becomes uh, showing, you know, the, uh, the aspect of probable cause. So in addition to showing probable cause, they also have to outline exactly what it is that they're going to do, what it is that they're looking for. So in advance, the FBI has to outline the sting operation and the evidence that they are permitted to collect is also has to be approved by the U.S. attorney in advance, ensuring that it's in compliance with federal law. 
Also, during the sting operation itself, the judge will observe the operation to ensure that it is conducted in alignment with the constitutional rights of the suspect. The sting operation is not allowed to violate the defendant's rights or exceed the scope of the warrant. As the sting is being conducted, a judge reviews the evidence collected to determine that it's admissible in court. If charges are brought against the defendant, the case will proceed to court and the evidence from the sting operation will be used to prosecute the defendant. Assuming all the evidence is above board and ironclad, the suspect will be found guilty and judged accordingly. So why are we talking about sting operations and, you know, this judicial process of getting a warrant, outlining it and stuff? This has a lot of parallelism to Satan's role in this world with the human being. When God commanded the angels to fall prostrate before Adam, all agreed except for Satan, also known as Iblis. When questioned why he refused, his justification was that he thought he was better than Adam. Then, when he was exiled from God's kingdom, he asked God for an opportunity to prove his point and show that the human being is unappreciative, that the human being is a disbeliever. And God granted him this authority. It reads in Surah 7, verse 11 through 17, it says, We created you, then we shaped you, and we said to the angels, Fall prostrate before Adam. They fell prostrate except Iblis, Satan. He was not with the prostrators. He said, what prevented you from prostrating when I ordered you? He said, I'm better than he. You created me from fire and created him from mud. He said, therefore you must go down, for you're not to be arrogant here. Get out, you're debased. He said, grant me a respite until the day of resurrection. He said, you're granted a respite. He said, since you have willed that I go astray, I will skulk for them on your straight path. I will come to them from before them and from behind them and from their right and from their left, and you will find that most of them are unappreciative. Satan's aim in this world is to prove his point that the human being is unappreciative, that the human being is a disbeliever of his Lord, and therefore does not deserve the status that God has given him. Thus, Satan created a narrative and now has to provide the facts for his claim. In this scenario, Satan behaves as a prosecutor in the court of God against the human being. So Satan, similar to the FBI, is making a claim against the human being. That he's saying that this human being is a disbeliever. He's guilty. He's a criminal. This tactic that Satan utilizes is that he will come to the human being from the front, from the back, from the right and from the left. So in essence, Satan is granted the authority by God to carry out a sting operation against the human being in an attempt to try to catch them red-handed of being unappreciative, of being a disbeliever in their Lord. So the first thing Satan has to do is he has to show probable cause. He has to show reason that the fact that the human being is going to fall into disbelief. In the Quran, there's two words when we're considered tested. One is balla, the other one is fitna. And there's a slight difference between these two words. And without getting into all the details, I'll summarize. The test of balla is something that every human being has to deal with by strictly being a human being. 
In Surah 2 verse 155, it reads, We will surely test you through some fear, hunger, loss of money, lives, and crops. Give good news to the steadfast. So these are tests that every human being has to go through, right? We're all going to face at some point fear. We're going to face hunger. We're going to fear loss of money, uh, lives, and crops. There's going to be times of prosperity, times of uh, lack thereof. And the question is, how do we behave under these circumstances? God creates these tests, these uh, bella, right, for the sake of drawing believers closer to God in order to elevate them, in order to redeem them. But if during these ordeals, we become unappreciative, we start questioning God's omnipotence, God's wisdom, then in essence, now Satan can make a claim against us. And this takes us to the second kind of test. This test is known as a fitna. This is a trial that God allows every human being to go through to make the determination, do they believe or do they disbelieve? And this fitna is the sting operation that Satan conducts in order to try to prove that this human being is unappreciative of his Lord. And once Satan has demonstrated justification to show probable cause, then he's allowed to carry out his sting operation. God grants him authority and also restricts the bounds of what he is allowed to do to prove his case. So similar to how the FBI has to go to a judge, has to present, this is the probable cause, this is the outline of what the sting operation is uh, uh, allowed, and the judge has to authorize, saying, okay, this is the scope by which you can conduct your sting operation. Satan, similar as a prosecutor, has to go through those same deal. He has to present his case to God. He has to get authority as far as what he's allowed to do in order to put this human being into this sting operation. In Surah 22, verse 53, it says, He thus sets up the devil's scheme as a fitna, a trial, for those who harbor doubts in their hearts, and those whose hearts are hardened. The wicked must remain with the opposition. So this fitna, again, it's a determining test that is going to determine if someone believes or disbelieves. While Bella, on the other hand, is someone is these are tests that people go through. And again, it's meant to strengthen the faith of the faithful. But if we continuously fail on those tests, these tests that just come with part of being uh, living in this world as a human being, then we're going to be facing the fitna and we're not going to be ready in order to be able to succeed when it occurs. And we have examples of this in the Quran. In Surah 33, we read about the believers being put to the test. And again, this is a test that everyone has to deal with. This is the Bella. It reads in Surah 33, verse 11, it says, That is when the believers were truly tested. And again, the Arabic here is Bella. They were severely shaken up. So this is something that the believers, the, the hypocrites, right, who were uh, professing belief, they were all put to that test. But we see how the two react to this situation. It continues in 33.12, it says, The hypocrites and those with doubts in their hearts said, What God and His Messenger promised us was no more than an illusion. A group of them said, O people of Yathrib, you cannot attain victory, go back. Others made up excuses to the Prophet. Our homes are vulnerable when they were not vulnerable. They just wanted to flee. Had the enemy invaded them and asked the fitna, so it's asking them, hey, are you with the believers or with the disbelievers? They would have joined the enemy without hesitation. And it continues. And we see what the response from the believers are when they were faced with this test. 
In Surah 33 verse 22, it says, When the true believers saw the parties ready to attack, they said, This is what God and His Messenger have promised us, and God and His Messenger are truthful. This dangerous situation only strengthened the faith and augmented their submission. So we see both people get faced with this first test. But those who again are on the borderline between belief and disbelief, they will be faced with the fitna. This is the test that's going to determine do they genuinely believe or do they disbelieve. And it's at that moment that Satan is able to conduct his sting operation to put them in that situation to confirm either their belief or disbelief. We have another example in Surah 54, verse 48 through 49. And this is talking about regarding the revelations God has given each community. And this, when it says, uh, but he puts you to the test, and again, the, the Arabic here is balla, through the revelations he has given each of you, meaning that we have a responsibility to the revelation we choose to follow. And it continues in 549, says, you shall rule among them in accordance with God's revelations to you and do not follow their wishes and beware lest they tempt, and again, the Arabic here is fitna, you from some of God's revelations to you. If they turn away, then no, God wills to punish them for some of their sins. Indeed, many people are wicked. So again, we see this progression. First, we have the life, the test of life that just comes with the responsibility of being human. Then Satan makes a claim on the human and is given permission to run his sting operation to try to prove his point. Does this individual genuinely believe or is it just merely lip service? Another example of this is in Surah 21, verse 35. And this is the only verse that I know of that uses both the terms balla uh, and fitna. It says, every soul will taste death after we put you to the test. And this word here is balla. Through adversity and prosperity as a fitna, then to us you ultimately return. So again, every human being is going to taste adversity and prosperity. But afterwards, they will be put to the test through the fitna to see if we actually trust in God, worship God, or in essence, again, is it just merely lip service? So let's look at some of these examples in the Quran of actual sting operations that Satan carried out. And the most famous example of this is that of Job. So in Surah 38, verse 41 through 44, we read, Remember our servant Job, he called upon his Lord, the devil has afflicted me with hardship and pain. So the devil was the one who afflicted Job with the hardship and pain. And it says, strike the ground with your foot. A spring will give you healing and a drink. We restored his family for him twice as many. Such is our mercy, a reminder for those who possess intelligence. Now you shall travel the land and preach the message to fulfill your pledge. We found him steadfast. What a good servant. He was a submitter. So the Quran gives some light to the fact that it was the devil who inflicted this hardship and pain on top of Job to determine if his belief was legit. In the Bible's uh, book of Job, we read, starting from chapter 1, uh, Satan's claim against Job. It says, In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. One day, 
the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands, so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Verily well, then everything he has in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And we see that in the following uh, verses, he goes and he inflicts hardship upon uh, Job's uh, family and his uh, belongings, his possessions. But he maintains his integrity. And it continues in chapter 2. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless, upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him. To ruin him without reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, then he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. So we see the process that takes place is that Satan makes a claim against a human being. He tells God this is his plan. He wants to be able to afflict X, Y, and Z upon the human. And God allows Satan to be able to do that in that given scope. And if the human being is proven truthful, is proven with integrity, that they worship God unconditionally, then God not only removes Satan's scheme, he restores everything to the human manifold. And this is the way that God's system operates. When we came into this world, we knew that we were going to be put to the test, that there's going to be certain moments in our life that Satan is going to be able to conduct his operation in order to try to prove our sinfulness. But if we pass these tests, God not only is going to uh, fix whatever Satan broke, he's going to pay us back manifold for showing that we have integrity under all situations, that we worship God alone under all conditions. Another example we see is that of Solomon. Solomon was the son of David. He was born into kingship. In uh, chapter 38, verse 32, we see that Solomon missed his afternoon prayer because he was distracted by his horses. And to nullify Satan's possible claim that Solomon loved his horses more than he loved God, what did he do? He got rid of his horses. And this shows the two testing spectrums between Solomon and Job. We are put to the test through our wealth, our health, our lack thereof to see if we worship God alone under all circumstances. And it reads in Surah 38, 
verse 30 through 34, it says, To David we granted Solomon, a good and obedient servant. One day he became preoccupied with his beautiful horses until the night fell. He then said, I enjoyed the material things more than I enjoyed the worshipping my Lord until the sun was gone. Bring them back to bid farewell. He rubbed their legs and necks. He, we thus put Solomon to the test. We blessed him with vast material wealth, but he steadfastly submitted. So in this test, Solomon catches wind to what's going on. And before Satan can make his claim, what's he do? He gets rid of his horses. So Satan can't make that claim against him. He realized that he was part of a sting operation. He got wind to what's going on and he took the corrective actions in order to eliminate any possible claim that Satan can make on top of him. And we see the similar example with Solomon's father, David. So in this scenario, you have two litigants who are going to David and asking them to settle a dispute that they're having. And this is read in Surah 38, verse 21 through 26. It says, Have you received the news of the feuding men who sneaked into his sanctuary? When they entered his room, he was startled. They said, Have no fear. We are feuding with one another, and we are seeking your fair judgment. Do not wrong us and guide us in the right path. This brother of mine owns 99 sheep, while I own one sheep. He wants to mix my sheep with his and continues to pressure me. He, David, said, He is being unfair to you by asking to combine your sheep with his. Most people who combine their properties treat each other unfairly, except those who believe and work righteousness. And these are so few. So up until now, you know, David is thinking that he's just settling a dispute. But something dawns on him, and it continues. It says, afterwards, David wondered if he made the right judgment. He thought that we were testing him. And again, we see the word here is fitna. He then implored his Lord for forgiveness, bowed down and repented. We forgave him in this matter. We have granted him a position of honor with us and a beautiful abode. O oh, David, we made you a ruler on earth. Therefore, you shall judge among the people equitably. And do not follow your personal opinion, lest it diverts you from the way of God. Surely those who stray off the way of God incur severe retribution for forgetting the day of reckoning. So David again realizes that he was part of a sting operation conducted by Satan. That Satan had these two litigants go there, had them feud in front of him and ask him to settle the dispute, hoping that David would err that David would, in essence, go with his personal opinion. And when he realizes that he messed up, what does he do? He repents to God and God forgives him. You know, this shows that, again, these tests are being orchestrated in order to bring out an individual's true convictions. But once we realize that what is taking place, that this is a scheme, that this is a way that Satan is trying to make a claim against us, we have to open our eyes. We have to seek refuge in God. And this is the, 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 the proper way that we can protect ourselves. Because the thing is, we never know when these tests are going to arise. We have to always be alert. And the best way to do that is to seek refuge in God. In Surah 41, verse 36 is when the devil whispers an idea to you, you shall seek refuge in God. He is the hear, the omniscient. In Surah 23, verse 97 through 98, it says, Say, My Lord, I seek refuge in you from the whispers of the devils, and I seek refuge in you, my Lord, lest they come near me. 
You know, when the devil says that he's going to come at us from the front, from the back, from the right, from the left, you know, he's going to come at us from all directions. Sometimes it's going to be apparent. He's going to ask us blatantly, go and commit sin. Other times it's going to be more subtle. But under all circumstances, we have to, in essence, be alert, be aware, seek refuge in God. But the question is, what do we do when we invariably find ourselves in this sting operation from Satan? In this case, if you consider that Satan is being a prosecutor, right? This is his function in this world, is to prosecute the human being, to confirm, right? To try to bring all the evidence he can to show that they're not devoted absolutely to God alone. He is operating, again, as a prosecutor. What do you need when you're being prosecuted? You need the strongest, the best defense lawyer you can find. And it's interesting, one of the words for God is wakil. Wakil means someone who is an advocate, a representative, an agent. And it's actually used in the concept of a defender or in the context of a defense attorney. That when God is your defense attorney, that you're saying, look, I'm going to do the things that please God. I'm sticking to uh, my Lord alone. That God becomes your agent, your wakil. And it's through him that he can absolve whatever schemes the devil comes up with. That in the case of uh, uh, Job, that this, despite the fact that Satan inflicted harm upon Job, has touched him with hardship and adversity, that God is the one who can ultimately make everything right and pay you back manifold. He can come after Satan for everything he's done for you and make sure that you get adequately uh, recompense for all the hardship and pain you had to go through. In Surah 3, verse 173, it says, When the people say to them, People have mobilized against you. You should fear them. This only strengthens their faith. And they say, God suffices us. He is the best defender. And again, the word here is wakil. If we are on the side of God, if we have God as our primary defense attorney against Satan, we're in good hands. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to grieve. In Surah 4, verse 81, it says, They pledged obedience, but as soon as they leave, you, some of them harbor intentions contrary to what they say. God records their innermost intentions. You shall disregard them. Put your trust in God. God suffices as an advocate, a defender. This concept of putting your trust in God comes from the same root as wakil. And same thing when it says your uh, uh, God suffices as an advocate. Again, we see the same word wakilan. In Surah 3, verse 121 through 122, it says, Recall that you, Muhammad, were among your people when you set out to assign the believers their positions for battle. God is here omniscient. Two groups among you almost failed, but God was their Lord. In God, the believers shall trust. And God willing, going to end with two more verses. Surah 4, verse 132, it says, To God belongs everything in the heavens and the earth, and God is the only protector. And again, the same word, wakil. God is our only protector. He's our only defender. In Surah 73, verse 9, it says, Lord of the East and the West, there's no other God beside Him. You should choose Him as your wakil. God knows that the devil is out to get us. God knows that He's going to come from every which way. God knows and has given Him authority in order to create these operations to try to prove that we don't deserve to be in His kingdom. But we have to be conscientious of this. We have to continuously be committed to God alone and trust in God that he's going to make whatever schemes the devil comes up with, that he's going to protect us against these. And he's going to make us whole and reward us manifold, 
If we stay steadfast, if we maintain our integrity and we don't give in to the fitna that the devil causes. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions or want to get in contact, please join our Discord server. The invite link is below. We got a thriving community of believers who love to worship God alone and read the Quran alone. If you want to follow along the verses, you can download the Quran study app on the iOS app store. And if you don't have an iOS device, you can go to QuranStudyApp.com uh, website. And until next time, peace and God bless.